to Pop Culture Confessions, a podcast where we fix our greatest movie mistakes. I'm Hannah, and I'm joined by Amanda. Yo. And Ryan. Hello. So each week, we get together and discuss movies that we haven't seen, but we really should have seen, that we somehow missed. For one reason or another, we somehow missed. Sometimes good reasons, sometimes bad reasons. We gather the team together to fix these problems. Yes. So this is our team, and we're traveling through time (laughs) and fixing these mistakes. (laughs) Building an increasingly elaborate time travel canon. Yeah. Episode by episode. I would like to see a flow chart of all the possible ways you can travel through time with us. Yeah. That'd be fun. (laughs) Last week, we talked about Amanda's pop culture confession, Caddyshack. And I made a confession of my own. I can see you thinking over there. What's what's on your mind? I just... There's this movie that I haven't seen. Oh. And it seems like all of my friends have seen it. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Never happened to me. And um, it's supposed to be very good. I don't even know anything about what it's about. Oh. This, <laughs> this is perfect. This sounds so yeah. intriguing. It could be yes. anything. It could be anything from like Citizen Kane to like Smurfs too. I don't know what you're going to pull out. <laughs> it's good and cute. Yes. I think it's supposed to be cute. It's My Neighbor Totoro. Oh. Uh. I've never seen that either. I hate anime, but I've seen this movie and I freaking love it. I love all of the Miyazaki films. I've seen other Miyazaki movies, but not this one. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the ones that I ended up missing. So we're going to do another week of double Amanda and Hannah missing something. <laughs> So you said this Uh, is one that you have missed. So you've seen other movies by this director? Yes, I have seen... uh, You've seen Princess Mononoke? Yes. Have you seen Spirited Away? Howl's Moving Castle? Yes, and I've seen Howl's Moving Castle. Okay. Have you seen... Ponyo? I haven't seen Ponyo. So do you have an image (laughs) of the movie poster? Yes, I'm looking at this image of the movie poster. It has little children, and then there is a large... Cat rabbit? (laughs) Cat bit? He has really big eyes and whiskers and a big tummy. And I want to rub that tummy. (laughs) I just want to rub that tummy. I hope it does not turn out to be secretly horrifying. Looking at the movie poster now, this looks a lot like the design for Big Hero 6. You can kind of see. Oh, yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah, it does look like Baymax. Kind of got that Winnie the Pooh cute tummy thing going on. I like it. He does. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, he has an umbrella, which I think he can fly. Mm, like a Mary Poppins kind of deal? And he's got like a big, like, what is that? Like a lily pad on his head. <laughs> I don't know anything about this movie. <laughs> 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 I'm excited. He, yeah, it's like a leaf. He has a leaf on his head. Does he think that it's keeping the rain off because it's raining? Yeah. Oh, is he dumb? I don't know. Normally, Miyazaki characters aren't like stereotypes of just one thing. So are, are you looking at the cover for the DVD? Like, what, what image are you looking at? It's a picture of Totoro chilling in a field with two little kids. Okay. Oh, I was... So the, the one that's not raining. I have one that's raining. Let me look at this raining one. Okay. So this other one I'm looking at, he looks kind of creepy. Like, it's, it's raining. He's in shadow. He's in shadow, like halfway in shadow. And this little girl standing on at a bus stop and she's got some little wellies on and he has that leaf on his head the same leaf i think he looks still looks cute a little more mysterious in this one Mm -hmm. like what is he doing what is his his aim like is he like a cat in the hat (laughs) kind of what what even is he i guess he's some kind of 
spirit. So do you think the design of this character and the posters and DVD boxes like pulls you in? Like, do you want to find out the answers to these questions? Yes. I want to touch it. <laughs> Get that tummy. <laughs> I want to rub my face in that tummy. <laughs> I hope I leave the movie feeling the same. <laughs> Oh, look, he can fly. I just saw a picture with children clinging to his belly like little possums, like little baby possums. The fanning factor of this movie is very high. Fanning factor? It has two of them, two fannings. Oh, it does. Dakota fanning and... Fanning the elder and fanning the younger, both. Uh-huh. And Leah Salonga, who is a famous Disney actress. Okay. So, I mean, am I going to watch the subs or the dubs? Ooh, uh, that is a debate yeah. for the internet, I'm sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we'll just decide based on our preference and then we'll reveal it. And probably shame each other for it. Yeah. If we don't, the internet will. Whatever side you choose, you'll hear about it. <laughs> I'm going to hear about it, but that's fine. Everybody's got an asshole and opinion. Except people who don't have assholes. That's how the saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the saying goes in my head. All right. Well, I'm very excited. It's funny. I'm usually the one who has not seen anime. And in this case, I am the one who's seen this. So I get to share anime with you, which is so weird for me. Like people have had to bribe me (laughs) to come over and watch anime with them. before, as I am notorious for disliking anime. I also dislike most anime. I I don't mind anime. I just had an experience, which I've kind of heard you guys talk about, where one of my first girlfriends was really into anime Mm -hmm. and really wanted to just constantly watch anime with me, and that made me Uh, really not like it. Yeah, I mean, I've watched some DBZ in my day, and some Sailor Moon, and some more recently Attack on Titan, but beyond that, very little. My ex girlfriend was obsessed with Ranma. I don't know if it's half or one half or whatever it is, but I remember watching it for like eight hours, going to bed, waking up, and they're still watching it. Oh, <laughs> you're like, Jesus. oh my god, turn that off. <laughs> so that is the root of my dislike for anime. But Miyazaki is almost his own genre. It's like the Disney of Japan. Yeah, like he's such a special thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like listening to quotes of his and stuff like that. He sounds like a pretty cool dude. I've either built up my expectations so high that they're going to get dashed, or you've pulled us back from watching really terrible movies, and I guess we're going to find out. All right, we're going to find out next week. But there's only one way we can do that. All right. We got to get to the future. Got to get to the future. All right. Got to float into the future on our umbrellas with our dumb leaves on our heads. All right. (laughs) Get that dumb leaf on my head. What leaf do you have? I have basil. (laughs) It's important for me to know. (laughs) I figured you would want something a little more southwest your Texas. A little cilantro, maybe. Basil grows real good here. I've killed okay. all the basil I've ever tried to grow. You should come meet some of mine. Anyway, <laughs> so what leaves do you have on your head? I need to know for the time travel machine. Well, I'm in Ohio, so there are only two spices, salt and or pepper. Okay. Uh, and I can't put those really on my head, so. They're also not leaves. Right. Put a leaf on your head. You don't have trees? There are lots of trees. Yes. So I'm just going to go outside and, like, grab a leaf. Okay. I have one of those annoying orange things that falls off of the oak trees in the spring that makes my face explode. Those little, like, All right. things. Oh, like Yeah, the that the, the trees shed. Yeah, okay. That's what I've got. That's what you've got. So we're all leafed up. What kind of leaf do you have, Ryan? I have So glad we're, a... we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the specificity that makes this podcast unique. Yes. Really it's an unique. oak leaf? Oak leaf. Got it. Okay. Great. All right. Are we ready? We're ready now. 
Got your leaves? Do we need just a wind? Do we need a gust of wind? I need a gust of wind. Very much like Peter Pan, I think we should definitely be holding hands so nobody gets separated then. Alright. <laughs> okay. You still got your leaf? It's really important. I still got it. This is okay. a very strange magical forest you've taken us to. <laughs> this is less of a sci-fi time travel and more of a fantasy time travel. Fantasy All the animals have really big eyes. They're doing a weird, like, oh. head tilt, unsettling head tilt thing. I see some sheet music they're holding, so I think there's probably going to be a song and dance routine <laughs> pretty soon. Everybody's got anime eyes. There's a very old woman mm-hmm. over there. I don't know what she's uh, she's about. There's a really ominous mountain in the distance. Is that a dragon? That looks like it could be important. Well, we'll just have to find out next time. All right. All right. We're in the present. The summary from IMDb is when two girls move to the country to be near their ailing mother, they have adventures with the wondrous forest spirits who live nearby. Yes, I think that's accurate. Sure. So this is another double episode, right? Neither one of you had seen yes. My Neighbor Totoro before this. Mm-hmm. And I, oddly enough, had seen it, even though... I, in general, don't like a lot of anime. Mm-hmm. So this is new for me where I've, I've seen it and you guys haven't. So Hannah, your overall impression for this movie, what did you think of it? I loved this movie so much. <laughs> it was just, I think it hit all of the right tones for me. There was a lot of really cute things. There were some parts that were like very emotional. Like I felt really invested in the characters and wanted them to be happy and, you know, be with their mom and just play outside and fly around with Totoro and grow trees together. I think it was just, it was really cute. And I'm sad that I missed it in childhood. (laughs) Hmm. Amanda, what what about you? What did you think of this? I felt similarly. The one thing that sort of, I don't know if it's a criticism or not, but the fact that it had only just the barest whisper of a hint of a dream of a plot. It was an afterthought, but it didn't feel like it mattered all that much, I guess. The fact that there was no plot or that there was very little plot that just kind of shows up at the very end. I think it's more of a character study than a... Right. We just did Phantom Menace and I kept comparing and contrasting it with that. Oh, God. Which it could not be more jarring. Phantom is so overstuffed with plot, but it doesn't make you give a shit about the characters. And this has barely any, and yet you want to essentially climb into the TV and like hang out with these people because it's so warm and and just a, a hug of a movie. As fantastic and dreamlike as the movie is, these are very real characters. I think a lot of that has to do with that this movie is basically based on Miyazaki's early childhood. Yeah. This, I mean, minus the magical forest creatures, as far right. as we know, this basically happened to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. That his mother got very ill, he had to go to the country. He's had this experience, and this was kind of his way to kind of deal with that pain. Mm-hmm. That's why he made the main characters female, because if he, he oh. said if he made the male, it would be too... Oh. Too much. Too hard. It would be too real, yeah. Too real, yeah. I can see Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. I read she suffered from spinal tuberculosis. Yes. But the movie doesn't reflect the real darkness of the world, I think. I never really had a sense that anyone was actually in danger in the movie. Mm. 
I think there's some scenes that are very dark. The sandal. That was actually the thing that struck me the most watching this the second time. Like, first of all, I was so happy to hear you guys liked this movie because as I was watching it, I was just falling more and more in love with it again. Yeah. <laughs> when I first watched it, my experience was basically like, this is a kind of sweet and funny kid story and there's funny cat creatures and a cool cat bus, you know, like all that stuff. And then when I watched it again, I'm like, this has some real dark, real talk, <laughs> you know, stuff going on in here. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of Inside Out in a lot of ways that it takes some serious issues and gives kids a way to mm -hmm. explore those ideas in a kind of a safe way. Yeah, maybe that's what I was sensing, the idea that there was never a real sense of impending danger. Like, the, I guess in the sense that there was no force working against them. There was no villain. Even nature, not only was it not conspiring well, against them, it wasn't even an indifferent, not I don't care if you live or die kind of force, which nature often is. It was an actively benevolent helper. Mm -hmm. There's a scene that I want to talk about that nature, that gives me kind of a, a good way to approach it. There's a really famous scene. I think it's one of the great scenes in movie history where they're waiting for the bus in the rain. Mm -hmm. Right? And mm -hmm. their father doesn't show up and they're having to confront this fear that kids, is probably the deepest, most primal fear that kids have that they are going to be abandoned. Yes. That they're not going to have any parents because their mom might die. Where's their dad? All of this. So you have the rain that's like a good physical reflection of their emotion. Mm -hmm. And that scene goes on for a long ass time for a kid, basically a kid's movie, yeah, right? Yeah. A lot of stuff in this movie does that. Well, I mean, then the darkness is just kind of creeping mm -hmm. around them and it builds a lot of tension. I think it's the perfect explanation of what this movie is really about because then Totoro shows up and kind of through, they're still in the same situation, but they're able to like play in the rain and mm -hmm. experience the like joy of, you know, the fun of splashing in puddles when you're a kid that like imagination is this portal out of this like despair mm -hmm. you know and then it leads into the cat bus thing which is just amazing so oh we should talk about cat bus i don't know what to think about the cat bus like the cat bus like i was sitting here watching it with my husband and i was like i knew the cat bus was a thing but i didn't realize that it was a cat a cheshire <laughs> cat with rat tail lights and a centipede legs situation. Too many legs. I said that a couple times. Too many legs. Way too many legs. A number of legs that is more than what one would reasonably <laughs> yeah. expect. I mean, maybe cat bus is just symbolically like, there's just things out there, kids, that are slightly horrifying <laughs> and really weird. And we just got to like go with the flow with this. But they're still totally benevolent is the thing. Yeah. I don't know. I guess because I sort of knew the reputation of the movie going mm -hmm. in that I was never really fearing for anyone's life. Life. There was no, like, I don't know, betrayal or, like, secret darkness mm -hmm. underneath these characters. Like, Catbus, despite being creepy AF, <laughs> <laughs> is just totally a sweetheart and just like every other character, literally every other character in the movie. Everyone in this, yeah. if every single person slash animal slash inanimate forest spirit or whatever is a total sweetheart without exception. Mm -hmm. Like, pleasant is the baseline. It goes on the scale of niceness. It goes from pleasant on one end to adopted grandma on the other end. Did you get the quotients of Totoro Belly that you were expecting in this? <laughs> 
<laughs> you seemed very excited about that. Yes, she did exactly what I I would do. Like, I was so pleased with that. She just, like, just buried her face in it and just, like, cuddled on him. He's supposed <laughs> to be, like, three meters tall. So he's big enough even for me to cuddle him. It's such a good <laughs> character design because he's basically a living stuffed animal, you know? It is. Yeah, he's a living stuffed animal. A little, a little spooky. Not as spooky as Cat Bus, but, like, no. he had that big mouth. I was reassured because the teeth were not pointy. I was like, okay, right. Totoro eats vegetables. Notably, Catbus also had flat teeth, which is not oh, normal for cats, yeah. which I think they did on purpose to make him less scary. Although they didn't do literally anything else to make him less scary. So, well, I think they kind of made him have people mouth, like, and he literally like grins and disappears. So it's kind of yeah. a Cheshire cat thing. Huge mouths is not usually a sign of goodness, it's but true. in a lot of the sort of gut level signals that you're supposed to pick up on in animation, they get subverted mm-hmm. in this movie. His mouth is designed to smile at you, not eat you. Yeah, right. But he has an expression that is, I think, overtly sinister. Like he has generally a wide smile with eyebrows that are like that. It's very (laughs) villainous looking. You are very eyebrow centric in how you judge the morality of characters. Yeah, (laughs) I am. But it's not just eyebrows, but it's the devilish kind of smile. Mm -hmm. It's not just a smile. Yeah. Nothing that's cute in this movie can just be cute. Everything has to be at least a little bit creepy. A little bit weird, but it's not, like you're saying, that idea that it's not malevolent. Like, even the name, right? It's like, my neighbor, Totoro. Not forest monster that's going to eat me, Totoro. (laughs) No, it's like, he's my neighbor. It's like, we live, like, hand in hand with each other, where the spirit world and our world aren't that different. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. That you're sort of being taught to overlook, in some cases, the physical strangeness. It is really weird that as a species, we signal happiness by showing each other our teeth. Yeah, most other species don't do that. It's a sign of aggression. No, that is a sign of aggression. So do not do that to a wild animal. No, no. Please don't smile at wild animal kids. Or aliens, because it'll freak them the hell out. Probably. Yeah, yeah. that's a plot point in some sci-fi series that I read. So I kind of felt that. I was like, I just see so much of teeth right now, mm-hmm. but it's happy teeth. <laughs> like you keep telling yourself it's happy teeth. It's nice teeth. And then the bellowing, yes. the, the giant roars yes, <laughs> are also not typically a sign of friendliness. There's that scene when, when she first meets him and he does that kind of bellowing roar at her. And rather than being like afraid, she does it back. Yeah. Again, sees the kind of like joy in it and does it back in like a playful way. Both sisters sort of, they have that reaction to new situations and like stimuli pretty much uniformly. They come at it with a spirit of like, oh, what's this new fun toy? Yeah, this is neat. Okay. Rather than being afraid. Like I'm going to do something nice for this weird monster that just showed up next to me in the dark. Here's an umbrella. I listened to the dubbed version because I really wanted to see how Dakota Fanning basically did as a voice actress. She was really good. Like casting Mm -hmm. both of those girls who are actually the age of the characters that are in it and are also sisters. Mm -hmm. Like I think it pays off really well in the voice talent. Yeah. Works really good. Oh yeah. And I looked it up. They did Dakota Fanning's part in the the Fanning girls' part in 2005? Yeah. Like she wasn't born when this movie came out. Yeah. It was a lot later. Because it was, you know, it came out in 88. Like, how good is this for an 80s movie, right? Yeah. I totally thought this was a 90s movie. Like, how many movies do we watch in the 80s that are not good? The animation held up so well. Mm -hmm. 
Like, you could have released this today as a new movie, and it would not be out of place at all. Yeah. The animation would mm-hmm. be would still hold up. The themes would hold up. There's nothing... I mean, I guess I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but there's nothing problematic. Or any- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the virtue of hand-drawn animation mm-hmm. and stylized animation is that it ages well. Animation is such a good portal into childhood and imagination because you can show and do anything. And that's kind of a defining feature of like childhood imagination is there aren't limits to your world. Yeah. You talked about how the girls kind of like approach the world. They use these acorns a lot in the movie. Um, I think there's a really strong like symbolic theme running through it with like potential and nature all tied up in that. I thought they did good with like hinting at that without hammering you over the head. There are things in nature and in the world that can grow into something bigger and greater and it takes time to happen. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really nice. Also, they're shiny. Yes, they show them like treasures, right? Like they're gold. Right, but like, yeah, the shiny things are fun to pick up for children and for adults. Yeah, we're just small, cool things. I'm an adult. I have acorns in my purse. I'm like, heck yeah, that's a cool I got acorn. acorns in my bag. I got acorns and cool rocks. <laughs> like, I never outgrew that. <laughs> the point where she's like following the acorns into the forest, I was like, oh man, if this was any other movie, this is going to be bad. It does not end well. <laughs> right. But this is a utopia. I don't know if it is. I feel like it's almost like there's this world where, our, our world, where there are real problems and real dark, heavy shit with like their mom going on, you know? And then right. whether this is actually a mystical world or just childhood imagination that there's this escape and this way to deal with your problems and kind of escape that despair with the big stuff yeah i mean there's two ways to look at it kind of there's one that this is actually an alternate world where because because both of the the parents seem extremely ready to accept that oh yeah those are just uh sit spirits whatever that's fine everybody knows what's gonna happen with those and they're just cool with it and like it's part of expected events and then the other way of reading it is that they're just really good parents and they just roll with it encourage their children's imaginations and that the fact that it seems so blissful and without trouble other than the kind of illness is because it's from the perspective of children and because it's trying to recreate that childhood is in some senses a utopia because you don't have a lot of the pressures that adulthood Mm -hmm. brings you do see a hint of them feeling the pressure when may runs off right when she has to kind of grow up pretty fast yeah well i mean and it also i think it was just very realistic because she flips and she's upset and she starts yelling about how her mom might die and before all of this she'd been really holding it together and parenting may in a lot of ways definitely and throughout the whole film they'd been commenting like i think it's bothering her a lot more and she's taking on a lot of burden and then you actually kind of you see that in a very real and appropriate way of what that what would happen yeah so we talk sometimes about uh hannah's psychology corner and a lot of times we say like this isn't really my area of expertise and i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think this movie deals with things that are a little more your specialty where you Mm -hmm. have like children going through loss and trauma Mm -hmm. and things like that does this movie give children good advice or show realistic behavior in that regard i was very curious about that when i was watching Mm -hmm. this i felt like it was very realistic behavior between the two sisters. Like, I, you know, just their relationship was very realistic in terms of the situation that they, they found themselves in. Like, the older one, you know, becomes 
parentified and, you know, bless her parents for being concerned about that and, you know, wanting to make sure that she doesn't get too much of that. But then again, they can't help it because they're in that situation. They're being single parented and, you know, mom's in the hospital. And just that anxiety that you realize is hanging out in the back of her mind. And May's kind of too little to really feel it, but she's really, she's affected by how other people are affected, definitely. So yeah, I felt like that was really spot on way of of exploring that kind of trauma. Because it's not really acute. It's just like a lot of missing out and missing out. Oh, and then the drowning scene, like, you know, like, like they find the little slipper. Well, yeah, potential drowning scene. I mean, they're like dredging the pond. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. She runs up and they're like literally looking for a tiny body in this pond. And she's just like, <gasps> and then they show her and it's just like, it's not her. And the adopted grandma is so relieved yes. when she says that it's not her sandal. Yes. So she's just got tears running down her face. It's like, oh. This movie kind of reminded me of how you make perfume. Like, I don't know how much you guys know about that, but when you make perfume, you always have to add a little bit of basically something that's foul smelling mm-hmm. to offset everything. Because mm-hmm. this movie has this really sweet, cuddly, oh, look at his belly, you know, like tone to it. But then there's these undercurrents of your parents are dying. People are drowning. Like, there's enough to contrast it, to make the things stand out more and ground it. Yeah, and even the, the way that things aren't just cute is I think also Mm -hmm. serves as that you've got this kind of warm bath but then you're throwing in like a fizzy bath bomb Mm -hmm. to make it a little bit more interesting I feel like it still does gloss over some painful stuff because it's from the perspective of children I think yeah given the time period and the setting this can't have been like a perfect world yeah it would have been really uncomfortable to move into a house like that (laughs) right like okay I'm just gonna go to a new school and now we live in this rickety house that might fall down well and it's 1950s japan yeah it had been devastated by war like a decade ago but from the perspective of a child like you weren't alive then you you don't know yeah the national pain. And I think that's part of it. Like kids are really resilient and they're very adaptable to their situation. I often come across things where I'm just like, oh my God, that's really sad. And they're just like, you know, that's just how it is. That's just how it was. But let's go color. (laughs) I think this movie strikes a really good balance between being set in a specific place and time that matters, but it's not so tied to that location that it's not also universal. Like that's what good kind of classics do, right? They speak to a universal human condition like loss and you know things like that but they tie it into a specific situation but you can extrapolate out like that's one reason why I don't like a lot of anime is I feel like it's so heavily like based in like Japanese culture that there are things that I'm just missing yes and here I mean there are references that maybe I didn't get but I felt that this was such a universal story oh yeah that I don't think of this as like a Japanese story that I have trouble interpreting you could transplant this into another country and another as, yeah. as long as it was in a time before cell phones, you could transplant it into another time and place. <laughs> and I felt like it, it was very Japanese. I think the spirituality aspect of it is definitely a part agree. of the culture. But it's not in such a way that we can't. It's not too 
who foreign, I guess. Like, yeah, you'd have to change some of the supernatural kind of elements of it to equivalents for whatever other culture that you're setting this in. Do you guys know what the title comes from? Uh, so I don't know. I don't speak Japanese at all. I have no interest in doing so. But I guess the Japanese word for troll is very similar to Oh, Totoro. yeah, she mentions oh, yeah. that. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. The chief is basically a child mispronouncing the word. And you see the fairy tale book that she's reading before all this happens. Mm-hmm. And you see it at the very end, too. The way that this kind of contrasts that danger and real-life stuff that's happening with the fantastic actually reminded me a lot of, like, what fairy tales originally were supposed to do. That they take real scary situations and, in the same way that, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer does, turns them into monsters that you can deal with, you know? I think it's a similar way of approaching mm-hmm. things that are too complex for children to deal with on an abstract level. Yeah, I feel like we're not going to have as much to talk about for this one because we liked it. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Just go watch it. Just watch it. When I was watching this, I was like, I need to show this to like so many kids because it's it's really, really good. Oh, yeah. I was thinking that if I ever had a kid that that would this would be something I would absolutely show them that it's it's so hard for kids entertainment to be sweet and uh, gentle without being saccharine and like unwatchable for adults. It's such a like needle to thread. And I mean, Miyazaki is the master. I guess. Yeah, I mean. It almost reminds me of Pixar, but like if you dialed down the energy level a lot. Yeah. Yes. If like every Pixar movie was up, this would kind of be, I mean, this is not not quite as depressing of up. Yeah. Right. But it's quieter, right? I mean, there are some moments that are energy and entertaining talking dogs and all that. But overall, it's a much more serious movie. Mostly it's a tone poem. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to say it. It's just sort of a stroll through a time and place. I find a lot of like British period pieces to kind of be that way, but I don't find them compelling or engaging (laughs) because I think they're too tied into that place and deal with like the social mores of that place more than the universal conditions. Mm -hmm. But this, I think, does the opposite, that it deals more with the universal. The world has to be either really fascinating or somewhere that you really would want to be. I think like this is a world that I would love to just sort of go inhabit. I would be even be okay, you know, being an adult and not being able to see the creatures anymore, but knowing they're kind of there. That's magical. It's like the whole Santa Claus thing. Hannah, have you seen other Miyazaki movies? How did this compare for you? I was thinking it was going to be about as dark as Spirited Away. So I was like, oh, okay. Yay. <laughs> it was like a nice, like, <laughs> sip of a cool drink, you know. I definitely was expecting a little more sharpness. And I think I actually missed it a little bit. I would be more likely to go rewatch one of his other, one of the other movies of his that I've seen that has a little more, I don't know, danger. On my rewatch, the sense of danger and kind of menace and like the bad things like stuck out to me a lot more uh, in my rewatch of it. So it's there. It's sort of simmering underneath a little bit. It's not It's not like a mm-hmm. sharp sense. It's almost like ominous music playing in the background. But very softly. Right, like nothing is necessarily happening. I would probably rank it under... I can't remember what I thought of Ponyo, but I love Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. I would probably rank it underneath those two. But it's still a Miyazaki movie and it's still a work of art and a masterpiece. So it's above most other movies yeah i've seen most of his films but i haven't gone back and rewatched them and because my enjoyment of this film was so much greater watching it a second time i feel like it would be hard to compare a second watch of his movies with the first watch of his movies because i feel like there's definite layers that you'll 
Mm-hmm. pick up on. So I'm not sure where I would put it uh, in here, but it makes me want to go through and actually check and make sure that I have seen all of his movies. Yeah, I need to go. I need to be more of a completionist mm-hmm. about it. I'm realizing I need to see how's moving castle. If I see a like Miyazaki collection somewhere, like I'm picking it up. They're just so hard to watch mm-hmm. because of freaking Disney. Ugh. It's on DVD. It's available on DVD right now, probably coinciding with the 30th anniversary of the release. I didn't realize we were having such good timing with that. Yeah, it's going to be released back into the theaters even. Yep. At the end of September, there is a Fathom Events thing where they're showing it. Yeah, go see it. It's funny how the things that bubble up to our consciousness to mention that we haven't seen Mm -hmm. so often end up being on the anniversary dates Mm -hmm. of things. I think that really points out like why nostalgia circles work the way they do, like that loop of things that come back. It's very interesting to see it in action with like just like peeling back the curtain. Like we don't look at a list of like what was released 25 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever. It just so happens to be that those are a lot of the movies that we pick. Yeah, I think we've done at least one or two others from the same year, so they're all having their 30th anniversary. Some of them we've ended up doing on the same day or week, simply by coincidence. Right. We did Who Framed Roger Rabbit right as it had its 30th anniversary and did not realize yeah. it until after the fact. Did you notice any kind of problematic aspect? Uh, no. I thought it was kind of weird that the other children had to work in the fields and they didn't. Uh, there's like a class thing. Yeah, there's a class thing going on. And of course, as kids, they're, they're just like, oh, okay, they have to go do that. I'm going to go play. Okay, this isn't problematic at all. But there's that scene of the family, the entire family taking a bath together. I was like, oh, okay, that's a cultural difference. Yeah, that's a little different. I was like, oh, that's culturally very different. Yeah. Um, but that's not problematic. That's just different. No, that's just different. I'm like, okay, yeah. But I mean, there's a there's a big communal bath culture in Japan. So like, why wouldn't that be within the family? And it's almost silly the way we have our bath culture set up here. Yeah, our nudity problems. Like, just put all of the children in the bathtub and wash them. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to do until, you know, they start saying that that's weird for them. And then you listen and let them have their time. But when they're little, it doesn't matter. So I guess getting to the question that I think I know the answer to so hannah are you glad you watched this or is this two hours you feel like you're (laughs) never gonna get back yes i'm glad i watched it i think i'm gonna go like if i have like a bad day i think i'm gonna sit down and watch this movie again like it's gonna be it's in the rotation (laughs) now oh absolutely what about you amanda it makes me want to go watch all of miyazaki's movies Mm -hmm. i have the exact same experience i loved this movie i want to watch other Mm -hmm. movies of his i want to make sure i haven't missed any i want to rewatch all the other ones i want to show this to kids we need to like make this a thing for children again and it is in japan like it's a apparently totoro is as big in japan as winnie the pooh is in america okay good yeah i was definitely getting poo poo vibes (laughs) gross (laughs) poo bear vibes Uh, just like the big round tummy and yeah this movie was not a commercial success when it was released until they released the toys and then like kids basically see it and want it and fall in love with it and then want to see the movie and then it became like a runaway hit like they actually released this as a double feature with uh, grave of the fireflies which i don't think you could pick a more tonally different whoa Right? I haven't seen that movie, but my husband has. Holy shit. That is... Yeah. Yeah, that is a heavy-ass dark movie. Like, you want to talk about something that speaks to, like, the, you know, Japanese Mm. experience of World War II. Ooh. Mm. 
Haven't seen it. But I mean, in a way, those two, I mean, they sound like a really odd pairing, but maybe after seeing something so heavy and dark, maybe you need that yes. Totoro <laughs> belly to like rub and <laughs> crawl into. You need that palate cleanser. Yeah, like you really need Totoro to show up and just cuddle because, oh my God, yeah. Like I haven't seen it either, but I do know it's one of those, one of those movies that's going to mess up your whole weekend. <laughs> just watching the first 10 minutes of Up on repeat. I think yeah. it has like kind of the emotional impact of watching like Up, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List. Like you watch those movies yeah. and you're like, holy shit that was a really really good movie i don't know if i need to watch that again this decade (laughs) but i'm never gonna watch it again (laughs) i mean i watch saving private ryan every year i haven't seen grave of the fireflies precisely because nobody who's seen it wants to watch it with me (laughs) i don't really want to watch that movie by myself (laughs) i just i was continually astonished by how confident and brave Miyazaki is I guess as a filmmaker the way that he lets things breathe and he just lets things speak for themselves he's confident that he doesn't need to to rush or play down to his audience right he's not worried about children getting bored because he's focusing on this flower for too long it just is like he he knows what he's doing it just is. Kids are capable of understanding, if you put it in the right visual language for them, they're, they're capable of a lot more than people give yeah. them credit for. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like, they do like farts and people falling down. Like, don't <laughs> get me wrong, kids love that stuff too, but... Like, they all love they Jar Jar also <laughs> can like other things Because he falls down a lot. Oh, God. Oh, no, <laughs> that is a perfect example of how you... How you don't do that. Don't talk down to children and think that that is going to be entertaining to them. I was thinking about this after we did our Phantom Menace thing, that BB-8 is an example of how you do what Jar Jar should have been, right? And that he's cute and kind of, you know, I mean, this isn't, we're not talking about Star Wars here, but I think that's an example of how you make. But let me talk about Star Wars for a minute. (laughs) It's like every other conversation I ever have, right? It always drifts back to Star Wars in some way. Always comes back to Star Wars. Poor Jay Keith. Like, I can't even imagine, like, hanging out with a bunch of nerds. And it's just constantly Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Shout out to J.K. Van Stratton. Yeah. If you haven't listened to our Phantom Menace episode, definitely go back and listen. That was a blast. We chewed that one up <laughs> in a way that we can't with this movie because there just isn't anything to be upset about. Yeah. Can't and would not want to. There's a lot to chew over, but there's nothing really to complain about. All right, bring us home, Hannah. All right. So that was My Neighbor Totoro. If you like what you heard, go give us a quick review on iTunes and you can find us at popcultureconfessions.com and follow us on Twitter at at PCCCast. We'll even give you a shout out on air if you tweet or review us. And if you have any pop culture confessions... We will read them on the podcast if you send it to us. We actually got a tweet about... Sweet! We got a tweet from <laughs> Civil Donnie at Don, Don Chesibro. Okay. Seriously, folks, this is a very funny and informative episode. Good job about our Phantom Minutes episode. Yay! That just dropped as of this recording. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a fun one. I liked that. I was worried that the trap was going to be that we just bag on it constantly, <laughs> but I think we... Which we did. We did, but we I think we, we were able to say some things that were good about it, some things that were bad. We had enough love for the franchise as a whole that it's not like... like... I think bad analysis is when you just say something is good or bad, but you don't have reasons. I think we had lots of reasons. Yes. Lots of detailed reasons. Yeah. Why it was bad. That was a good one. New and innovative reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so many thanks to Wax Logic for the use of their sweet groove. Yeah. <laughs>
What, what is that? What, what the hell? Hear that? What is that sound? There's what? like a weird light. What's happening? What is that out in the parking lot? There's like a strange vehicle appearing in front of us. There's fire everywhere. Oh my gosh, there's someone getting out of it. Did the doors just open from the roof? Vertically? That's not how doors go. That's weird. Oh my god, there's a person getting out of this car. Who are who are you, strange man? Uh, hello? Uh, uh, who, who is that? Hi. Hi, sorry. I feel like I just, I'm almost back from somewhere. Oh my gosh. Are you from a faraway place? Yeah, I'm from a different podcast. Really? Oh, really? There are other podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> I know. In the year I came from, there were other podcasts. Where do you hail from, stranger? Uh, So I'm from Not Her Again. This is uh, Michael DeManico joining. Oh my gosh, (laughs) I love that podcast. I do too. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) It's a fellow movie podcast. Can you tell me where I am? You are in the land of the No Shame Zone. Perfect. We help uh, (laughs) travelers and wanderers tossed by time to fix their mistakes. Mm, Perfect. Do you have any mistakes or, say, confessions that you'd like to make to us? I may have one confession, but I I have to just verify that this is really the no shame zone. We do our best. It's 100% no shame. (laughs) Most of the time. 100% attempt at no shame. We do our best. (laughs) We're like 99.999% no shame. Okay, yeah, that's a good percentage. Right. It's a growth area. We made a vision board for it, so we're working on it. Just anything above like 60. (laughs) Great, great. Okay, yeah. So I do have a confession. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. I'm feeling like the 99.99% no shame zone is the perfect place (laughs) to reveal that I have never seen. Tune in next episode to hear our special guest, Michael DeMonico's pop culture confession. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe.